0: Good evening. evening. Let's try this again. Good evening. We'll get it by the end. Good evening. evening. (laughs) Well Dwight, as long as I don't start off in the evenings with how many dollars on him, we're going to be fine. So we'll remember um, where we're at. And yes, it is very true. You know, I don't know about you ordained men, but I remember very clearly, thank you, when being ordained, the first question you wonder, why me, Lord? There's how many others that are speak better than I can. But, you know, it's a real privilege. The more I get to know God's Word, it's a real privilege to share the Word of God. It's just, you know, I look at it and uh, it amazes me, Um, His Word, and and again, how He entrusts man. And yet, He calls man for a reason, and that is actually somewhat of the message this evening. Before we get into the message, um, I would just like to say, first of all, that I do desire an interest in your prayers, and also, while I think of it, I do want to bring you greetings as well from the Pilgrim Mennonite Church in uh, northeast Ohio. Um, I failed to say that last night. I told my wife it's surprising how much you miss when you're nervous. And maybe by the end of the week you'll be praying for nervousness because sometimes I can go over when I do lose that. So, um, But most of all, I want God to receive the honor and glory again. Um, this week. Before I go into the message this evening, some of you had asked me a number of questions about the Jews. I mentioned that I'd worked with some of the Jews, and so I thought maybe just to take care of a little bit of curiosity, I would just kind of give you a little bit of an education. Um, I did have the privilege to work among them for a number of years, and not only among them, but inside their own homes. And before I get into that, uh, majorly, is that it is very difficult to actually get a job to get within their homes because there is a lot of anti-Semitism that is out there, and they don't trust just anybody. Um, You have to really gain their trust. And I was privileged to actually end up with house keys for a number of their homes. To A lot of them do not do their own work. Changing a light bulb is a job. Um, but they use their mind they they can they can uh, run large corporations, but to change a light bulb is beyond them. Um, so I used to get a lot of those jobs in that and I could tell you some interesting ones we won't get into that too much, but Jews vary a lot. Orthodox Jews vary about as much as Mennonites. you will get those who basically are the Zionist Jews who believe, basically, you think like a Jew, but you don't need to do anything other than that. All the way to the ones who in New York City would wear these um, woolly hats and uh, would wear the breeches and uh, would not hardly speak to anybody outside of the Jewish community. The ones I came in contact were, with were mostly the ones right in between. Um, a, You go into the Jewish community, a typical day that was started by them at seven, right around 7 o'clock. About everybody from approximately 12 years old and up, as far as boys and men, would meet in the synagogue for prayer and they would basically um, go through several rituals I'm not going to go through all those but interestingly enough they all when you see them walk in they, or walking out you see them congregated out after after prayer time they would have it looks like a bunch of it looks like little pillows under their arm and it's actually their prayer shawls that they would put around them and they would have these little blocks on their head and uh they would chant some of the prayers were spoke, spoken, other prayers were chanted like in a sing-song manner, and then it would end in a whisper. How do I know that? Well, I I got to work in a rabbi's home and he had a really bad cold and could not make it to the synagogue, so he did it at the kitchen table. So I got to witness that about an hour-long prayer and got to see what was actually going on at that point. Um, when you go into, especially in Cleveland, there in Cleveland Heights is a very large community. They have probably about four or five synagogues. And in a neighboring community, which is Bedford Heights, would have about three to four large synagogues. All synagogues are pointed toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, um, you will find, um, especially in Cleveland Heights, all the men pretty much dress alike. You will see black pants, white shirt, black tie, and suit coat. In Cleveland Heights, most of them will wear the big black Amish-looking hat, um, or they will wear the kippah, which is a little skull cap that they wear. Women, especially in, in Cleveland Heights, would all wear dresses, And pretty much decently dressed. Um, And they would also wear the veil. If they did not wear the veil, they would wear, unknown to anybody else outside of that community, for their veil, they would wear a wig. And you would not really realize it, but that was their veil. But they could look just about like anybody else. Interestingly enough, when you go into one of their homes, when you walk in their house, you cannot tell between a median household and a multi-multi-millionaire's home. They pretty much will look all the same. Usually nothing overly big. Um, In fact, one home that I worked in for a rabbi, a very, very nice family, very happy-go-lucky family, was a very little house that... They raised 11 children in that home. And uh, one of the things that you will find in those homes is they are fairly simple, but you will find walls of books. Their libraries are vast. And their one thing that they are proud of is their libraries. They, you will not find a TV in any of their homes, as I have mentioned before, nor the radio. Um, because they believe that is actually damaging to them in the educational system, and they push reading um, a lot of their books. Um, interestingly, you have kitchens. I put in a lot of kitchens. Um, their kitchens, if they are upgraded or in a new home, are kosher co- kitchens. What is a kosher kitchen? Kosher kitchen has two separate sinks, two separate dishwashers, and if they're wealthy enough, they'll have two separate refrigerators. Why? Because you cannot mix dairy and meat. Kosher is more than just not eating pork. Kosher is about how meat is prepared, and it's about not mixing the dairy and the meat which they take out of of uh uh I forget which which scripture that is or which uh book that is that talks about the the uh, eating the calf and the milk and they take that literally so if you like a cheeseburger and you want to become a Jew you got a tough decision to make because they're not going to allow that Neither a great meat pizza with extra cheese is not going to work. You have to decide between the two. The dishes you have to use separately. You have meat dishes, you have dairy dishes. They never can be served on the same table at the same time. Um, In fact, if you like ice cream after a great meal... You hope you don't have meat before that because depending which uh, where you're at, you may have to wait from two hours to a day between having meat and having dairy. Um, <clears throat> their diet, because of that, mostly consists of pasta. Uh, the place that I worked at where they're very accommodating, I had a hard time telling them no and they kept coming around with soft pretzels and uh all kinds of those kinds of goodies and by the time I get home I felt like I wore a dough ball. And but great people. I could not tell them no. Um, very, very friendly people with that. With all the laws and regulations, one Jew told me as we compared notes on one trip, he looked at me and he said, If you Mennonites and Amish think you got rules, you don't have anything. And he is right uh, with that. Now, I will say this. The one thing that I have to admit that I kind of got jealous of was the day of Shabbat, which is their Sabbath. On Friday is an extremely busy day. They will be mowing, well, they won't, but their their, uh, caretakers will be mowing lawns or the lawn service, they'll be mowing lawns, they'll be t- uh, doing the shrubs, um, they will be, you will smell food, cooking, to beat the band, they are cleaning, the house cleaners are there, they are busy, there's an anticipation, a little bit like children looking forward to Christmas, every single Friday. And this is, the, you can just feel it in the air, about... An hour before sundown, it starts to fizzle out because Sabbath, or Shabbat, starts at sundown on Friday. And by the time it hits, Shabbat hits, before that, all the laptops are shut off, all the phones are shut off. If you want to get your car parked in the garage, you better get it done before then because a car cannot be driven on the day of Shabbat. And it is totally peaceful when that minute hits. The streets are dead. And I had the privilege of actually me being a Gentile could work in the home of one. I couldn't get done in time. And I could actually hear them starting their Shabbat, they would have, light a candle and they would have a prayer thanking God for the week that was given and thanking God for the Sabbath that was given to man. With that, many of them would, would invite friends or family over. And many of them would stay overnight because it was too far to walk. And they would stay overnight. And they would have their Normal Friday night meals. They try to get me to sit down with them, but I felt a little bit out of place. And she said, "Well, you got to actually have, and it's interesting. Um, in America, their their uh, traditional meal is in the evening is uh, chicken noodle soup." So I went ahead and had some, and Jewish chicken noodle soup tastes like Mennonite chicken noodle soup. But um, it was interesting, the anticipation that was there. They couldn't wait for it. And they have said, that is one thing we have over most everybody, is we know how to truly rest on the day that God set aside. And I will have to say they do. Um, in the, in the uh, Shabbat morning, you will see them streaming down the sidewalks. And that is why most of them live very close to their synagogues and that's why property is extremely high because they need to walk to their synagogues. And you will see thousands of people lying, walking to those synagogues and they will continue until that evening, sundown. They will again thank God for the Sabbath that He gave, gave and then they will thank God, for the week ahead. Sabbath is over. They also have a number of holidays as well. Holidays is one thing that they have a lot of. And real quickly, the two most popular holidays is the Passover, which is in the spring. And I used to think, it's plain in the scripture, but I guess when you got a mindset, I used to think Passover was, you did it one evening and it was over. But it's a whole week long. God commanded that, that it was to last for a week and the first day was to be used as a Sabbath. They don't work in that. But they literally will clean their houses from top to bottom for two weeks. Even to the point some of them will get rid of their dishes. Because he might have a little bit of leaven in them. Or they may end up with dishes in the garage. That is their Passover dishes, and they will swap their dishes out for that week. Um, they clean so much that the trash service comes twice that week instead of once, literally, and uh, to pick up their to pick up their trash. This week is a special holiday as well. And known as the Sukkah holiday, which we know as what? The Feast of the Tabernacles. And I actually had helped many of them put their booths up. That was a lot of my job, was to put their booths up and put bamboo up on top. And depending on which area it was, they would eat and sleep, rain or shine, in those booths for a week. And they could never wait for that. They were always looking forward to it. It Didn't matter how cold, didn't matter how rainy. They could never wait for that time. And I literally decided I'm going to ask a uh, rabbi, he was a young rabbi, probably maybe 20, upper 20s, early 30s. And I said, why, why do you have the feast of, you know, the tabernacles? And he told me just like that. He said, you know, he said, we have a lot to be thankful for. God had led the children of Israel over the Red Sea. It's a reminder of what He did for them in the wilderness, and He went on and on on that. And that is one thing that has stood out to me in, in with dealing with Him, as sad as it is, that they the main problem is they don't believe salvation through Jesus Christ. One thing that I have learned is that they have taught their posterity why they do what they do. It's something that we as Mennonites could probably learn from is do we teach our children why we do what we do or is it just a tradition that we hold? And so it's a challenge to us. But I thought this by way of... of uh, Interest, I wanted to share that with you, that way you might know a little bit where I'm coming from for some of this, and uh, go from there. Um, as I told you before, I'm looking into the into Genesis, and believe me, we're not going to get through all of it, all of Genesis, um, but I would like to look in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and I've entitled the message, Created in God's Own Image. Now, I have to admit, this is a little bit difficult because I'm actually trying to pack about three messages into one and trying to keep it at the length of one. So we'll see how this goes tonight, um, and I don't want to short anything either as well. One thing I want to recap just a little bit is that when God created the, the uh, earth, when He was creating, when He manufactured everything, God had an intended design. The laws of nature, the laws of gravity, whatever it is, did not just happen. God had intended and had a design for everything, whether it is socially, He had a design for families, He had a design for church, He has a design for all. Nothing is just by default, but God had a plan in it all. <clears throat> the other thing that I want us to note before we go in is that as we look into this, is that we know God through creation. Have you ever, I don't know how many of you like history. Um, I started liking it a little later in life. And as an auctioneer, I get into a lot of antiques. And there's a lot of times that if you look at the item, maybe it was a piece of furniture, you could tell by the Creator how much He cared for what He did. The pride that He took in His handiwork. And you know, that's the way it is with our God. As we look at the creation and at His creation, we can see through that. Who God is. Okay, let's go into Genesis. We're going to jump around just a little bit. Let's go into Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I believe we're going to read maybe up to verse 19. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And I'm going to actually stop right there for the time being. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. One of the things that we have to realize is that the beginning is a very important word. It is actually a word that gives a foundation to the scripture. It gives a foundation to time. Think about it. If you have evolution, they can't decide whether it's a million years or whether it's a trillion years. They don't have a foundation at all. And we're trying to put our education system on that foundation where there is no foundation. But you and I, as we look into the Word, we have a foundation, we have a beginning. That is very important for us to remember, is that we do have a foundation, and that is right at the beginning. And we look at another word that is very important in here, and it says, In the beginning, God did what? Happened to? No, He created. As I said last night, He's in the building business. God created man when He follows God. And His will becomes what? He becomes productive, He becomes creative. Why is it that... I'm going to use a a uh, illustration. Why is it that the Mexican at the Mexican border we have thousands that are trying to come up into the United States? Why don't we have a, thousands for, going from the United States down to Mexico? Why? Well, no, it is because of the monetary system, right? It's because we are wealthier up here. Why are we wealthier up here? Does it mean that the soil in Texas? Is that much better than what it is right across the border going into Mexico? Does it mean that the atmosphere is any different down there between the two? No. Now go back a little ways and our founding forefathers, we reap the benefits of the seeds that they have sown way back when the founding forefathers, maybe this was not a Christian nation, but it was founded on Christian principles. Where the Spaniards had taken over South America, Central America, Mexico, because of the greed for money, people had come into the United States for what? Freedom of religion. And with them, they brought the word. And with them, they brought with that productive people. You see, things don't just happen. We talk about coincidence. It's not just a coincidence. We, uh, If we look into statistics, 98.8% of medical discoveries have been discovered in biblical-based communities. The Industrial Revolution happened within Bible-based countries because they understood the fact that in order for something to happen, something had to be created. You see, when you go into evolution, it somehow happened. And now we have a society today that thinks that they can sit around and something is going to happen. And therefore, it results in people who have no purpose in life. And so, in all reality, this creation thought process is very important for us to look at. I'll be getting back to that maybe in just a little bit later. Now, let's keep on reading. It says, And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God... Moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, let it divide the waters from the waters, and God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening, and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he sees. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be... For signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day, and I'm going to stop right there, simply for time. Um, <clears throat> we notice here really quickly, and this is God gave His word, by the way, by example as well. And one of the things is that we see here is that God said in all of these cases, He said, "Let there be," and then it says, "And then He made." We notice here that he has given us a concept and then he built on that concept. Giving us a, uh, giving us an example, that is how we build anything we want to build. Whether it is our homes, as couples come together, and as, as dating processes are, I'm just giving this for an example, it's not just a fill in time. It's trying to figure out what our goals are and what we're going to do with our goals. And so on and so forth. Business is the same way. Church is the same way. You have a church without a goal, where are we going? There has to be a concept. The other thing that I wanted to point out, real quickly I missed, in the very first part it says, And God made the heaven and earth. We notice heaven heaven and earth. We have the earth which is tangible, and we have the heavens which is intangible. Okay. This is something that I want us to remember as well as we go throughout even the next several evenings and look at several incidences is that God has made the spiritual and he has made the physical. Okay? Meaning that if you would take a baby who is just born and and the mother would take him to the doctor and she would say, "Doc, can you tell me what color of hair he will have?" When he gets five years old or whatever and, and the doctor may say, well, I think it's going to be brown. It looks like that's what it's going to be. And then she will say, do you know when he, when he gets, you know, 20 some years old, do you know, will he have a big build? Will he have a small build? And he may say, well, he'll be medium build. Then she'll ask him, do you know, will he make good decisions in life? Do you know if Will he be honest, or will he be a man of integrity? And the doctor would say, I, I don't know. Well, why not? You could tell me what color of hair he was going to have, you could tell me what kind of build, but you can't tell me what he's going to be like in the future. And the doctor would have to point out, I'm a physician, which he is physical. The spiritual cannot be weighed, It cannot be measured, the temperature can't be taken at that point. So God has, God has created both. And man, I'm getting ahead of myself, man is the only being in this world that is both. Who carries a physical body and is spiritual as well. Now we notice here, real quickly, I'm gonna go into another little bit of a trail before we get right up to men. We notice here that there is one word that is repeated again and again and again. And that is a little word "end." In Hebrew, it is "it is a uh, vav." is a Hebrew word for that. And by the way, Hebrew is actually read from read from the right right to the left instead of the left to the right. And every Hebrew letter has a value to it. I don't know if I'm going to get into any more of that or not, but just keep that kind of in the back of your mind. But "vav" means to hook. In other words, in all of these, he doesn't start any sentence without end. And so he's connect, connecting the past to the future. And everything is leading up to an event. Nothing is separated in itself. In fact, the main value of the, the word vav will look like a hook in the in the Hebrew. And it is, it is connecting the past to the future. Now we go to the, the, uh, to the ultimate, I guess you would say. In verse 26 it says, and God said, let us make man in our image. Chapter 1 verse 26. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I'm going to skip over a number of verses. I see time is starting to get away on me here. Um, Let's go over into chapter 2, starting in verse 7. It says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into to four heads. And the name of the first is Pison, that is which that is it, which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and there is Delium and Onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same as that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And I'm going to stop right there. Created in God's own image. It is very interesting that how did life begin? It was with the breath of God. And it's very interesting, the very interesting factor of that is breath and soul go hand in hand. As I watched my father take his last breath, his soul was gone. You don't hear of people who... Can say I haven't breathed for a week and I'm still here, or vice versa. You haven't. You don't hear that where a man died and yeah, he's still breathing. When that happens, it happens together. We take it for granted, don't we? But breath, man's natural breath, and the soul go hand in hand. Now, how is man made in God's own image? Number one is that we skipped over the the creation of the animal and I want to make very clear that we are not an animal. And this is a part that I'm afraid that has influenced us a lot is that we sometimes think we don't, we hear sometimes we don't have a choice. Because my dad was that way, and so I'm that way. I can't help it, it's just my character. Now, we all are different, okay? I want to hit that balance right, but there are certain things in life that we can do to enhance our character with God's help. But God has given us a wherewithal to do what we can as well. He has given us the means, In fact, um, in Exodus 14, we don't have time to turn to it, when the children of Israel were crossing the Red Sea, Moses fell on his knees before God and said, what do we do? I'm just saying this in my own words. And God said, basically, get up and do something about it. And that was, put a rod out and I'll take care of the rest, but there's something you got to do. And that command in many ways is the same for us. Sometimes we are required to get up off our knees and put effort in ourselves. Because you know why? We're not an animal. We are created to be in God's own image. Now, when man was created in God's image, he was in the most perfect form at that time before sin entered the world. One of the things is, is that I want to really look at this evening, is that we resemble God in our qualities and uniqueness. Everyone is unique. There's not a one of you that is exactly the same. And that is the beauty of God's creation. The results of evolution have been socialism. Where we're going to make everybody the same, we're going to make everybody do the same, we're going to make everybody worth the same, we're going to make this whole thing, and it sounds really great. But it'll never work and has never worked because that has never been God's design. Because God has designed each of us to be unique in our own way. Where is our uniqueness found? You can take identical twins... Look-alike, identical, you can't tell them apart. You do a DNA, it's identical. What will be their uniqueness that is different than the other? Their fingerprint. Their fingerprint will be different, everybody's fingerprint is different than the other. Why not the foreprint, the forehead? Why don't they have a forehead print? Why not a toe print or an elbow print? It's a fingerprint. Did you think of where our fingers are? Our fingerprints are connected to our fingers, and our fingers are connected to what? Hands. And what do hands represent? Before you get this fuzzy feeling about being special and unique, let's understand why we're made unique. And that is, hands have always represented service. We each serve in a special way. We're called to serve in a special way. Whether it is in church, whether it is on the mission field, or whether it is a daily grind at work. We serve in our own way. Um, Let me make this real quick connection. Again, remember that God had given this to Moses specifically. And God is not trying to fill in spaces. There's a reason for everything. One of those is um, found here. That is a question. Is in verse eleven, he talks about the creation of man, and this is before he's done telling about the creation of man. He talks about the gold, and the gold was good. The delium, onyx stone, precious stones. He puts right in the middle of all of this. Why? Why is that? Gold has always been one of the most precious metals. And God said here, it was good. Now, gold has always been represented as monetary value. In the scripture and still is today. But what is money? What is money? Is it the dollar bill? The green paper? Is it the metal disc? Is it a check? Or is it an IOU? What is money? In other words, you're probably wondering where I'm going with this, but hear me out. In other words, if you have $500,000 in the bank, how much are you worth if the news comes across that, without a doubt, there's an atomic bomb that will wipe out the United States, how much are you worth at that point? Zero. But you have 500000 in the bank. But, if the economy is said to be booming, there is no no uh nothing negative in sight, then what does the worth become? Way much more. Why? We go back to the word trust. And there's a reason why the money is the forefathers have of the country have put down in God we trust. But, this is what God's plan is. I want to dig myself in a little deep, but uh, I see some of you are a little sleepy, so we're going to use some of you as a congregation. I'm probably going to get myself in trouble, but it wouldn't be the first time. Um, how many of you, besides farmers, are self-employed? You're a little reluctant to raise a hand. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, and I can't remember names. Right here in the front. Justin? Justin? Okay, Justin. And you do what? You sell seed, you sell seed okay? And you next? Curtis? Curtis? You do what? Electrician. Electrician. Okay, we have somebody else back there. That, Alan. Alan? Okay, and you do what? Uh, construction. Construction. Good. This is working out pretty good. <laughs> I see somebody else. There you go. Davy, I sell furniture. Davy. Yeah. And you sell furniture. I thought we had a mechanic here somewhere. No mechanics? Self employed? Okay. It makes a better story. <laughs> What's the name? Cleo. Cleon. Cleon? Okay. All right, so what happens is none of you know each other whatsoever. And I'm going to I'm trying to figure out how we're going to construct this. Okay, <clears throat> I might have to leave some of you out, but we'll we'll see how this goes. Now, it'll work. Um, let's say I'll we'll pick on Dwight too. Let's say uh Dwight, he's ready in the spring. He's ready to uh plant. He don't know who really to get uh to buy his seed from and he talks to other people and some of the other people say, "Well, listen, Justin's a pretty good salesman." Um, Why don't you check him out? And so he talks to Justin and says, Hey, he said, I need, I'd like to buy seed. Justin says, I'm not going to sell you any. Unless you show that you did something for somebody else. Unless you can show proof you served, I can't sell you any seed. Dwight said, yeah, I can show you. Got a milk check. We fed a number of people. And I served in that way. I can show you what I served. Now, don't go buy my figures, okay? I'm just going to throw it out there for whatever it's worth. So, Dwight, he buys seed from Justin. And let's say that seed bill, you know, I'm just going to throw a figure out, okay? Because I'm not a farmer. I have no idea what a seed bill is going to be. So, um, don't faint, Dwight either way, but let's say it's just going to be $5,000. Now, in the meantime, Justin, I don't know if he's got a tractor or not, but let's say he's got a tractor that he at least putters around at home. And his tractor is starting to get water in the oil and it needs some help. And he decides, hey, I've got a, I got to get it fixed, so he takes it to Cleon. Cleon says, "You know what? I can't do a thing with. I'm not. I can't work for you because you haven't showed that you have served anybody." He says, "Yeah, I can. I I can show you I've served somebody. Uh, I got five thousand here to prove it. Now, not that five thousand in seed money goes to total profit, but anyhow." And so, he says, how much do you need to show that you served? And Cleon says, well, it's going to cost you about $2,000. Now, Cleon does a job. Justin is happy with it, and he pays him the $2,000 out of the $5,000. Now, He needs to have a little bit of construction work done there. And he needs just some odds and ends done, whatever. And so he calls Alan up and says, Hey, I could just use a little bit of a spruce up over here. Would you come over and consider putting in an office? And so Alan says, Sorry, can't do it. you got to show that you serve somebody before I can do it. And he said, yeah, I could show you that I've served somebody. How many certificates do you need? And he said, well, I need about $1,500 worth of certificates. Now, in the middle of the job, there's some electrical work that needs to be done. And that was figured in the job. Pretty small job for 1500 but anyhow. And so he calls up Curtis and says, listen, I have some electrical work. Won't take you long. You can come right in, you can go right out, and you'll be on your way. Curtis says, Well, sorry, can't do it. He said, You gotta show you serve somebody. You gotta show proof. Because I need to show proof that I served. So he asks how much? Alan asks Curtis how much? Curtis says, it's gonna cost you a good seven hundred bucks. It took a lot a lot of profit, but anyhow. So he comes in, he does it, he goes on his way. Well, he's gonna be surprising his wife, Curtis is, so he goes in to Davy's store. Besides, he he's going to buy an end table. David says, I'm not going to sell you one. There's no way I can. He's, you got to show The only problem is, well, David says, well, how can I buy one? He said, you got to show that you serve someone. you got to show proof. He said, well, I can show proof. How much proof do you need? He said, I need $300 worth of proof. And so he gives him 300 dollars worth of proof, and goes home with an intake. OK, what happened out of that first 5,000 dollars is we have 9600 dollars worth of economy that was created from that. But what happened? interaction with everybody. If you were to try to do it all yourself, how much interaction would have taken would have been there? What it is, is God has created the need of interdependency on each other. And it's through economy that much of that interdependency has happened. You see... Too often, we think of serving as being only in a, quote, mission field. Nothing wrong with mission fields. But too often, we think that we go to work just to go to work. But you and I have a mission when we go to work, whether it is on the dairy farm, whether it is in the furniture store, whether it is in mechanic shop, whatever it is, so many... I have seen number of conversions that have happened through business. Through business dealings. You see, customer service, service is used in customer service and worship service. And I'll tell you, our worship service can't get much better than our customer service. It's not only about honesty, but it's about who we portray who we are the smile on our face, the eagerness to serve. You see, it's a little bit like if I would have a neighbor on each side of my place I would have, let's say, John is on one side, Jake is on the other, and John would always sing my praises, say, I'm a wonderful person, never met a better person, but he would yell at my children every time a ball come flying over in his yard. He couldn't wait to scream at him, throw stones at him. But the other neighbor on the other side, Jake, he didn't say a whole lot about me. He might say some things about me, but he remembers each one of my children's birthdays. He always remembers to bring them a card, always speaks kindly to them. Who really loves me the most? The one who has looked at my children and respected my children is the one that loves me. That is where we are called to serve others because we ultimately serve who? We serve the Almighty God who has created us to what? To serve. One of the concepts as we look into the New Testament where Jesus talked about the rich man who was going to put up all his barns. Putting up barns was not so much the problem was that he was going to become absolutely worthless. He said, I am going to tell my soul, take ease, take it easy. Because he was no longer... Going to do the things that God had created him to do and to serve. You know, God calls busy people. I'm taking you way over. I'm making up for yesterday. Real quickly, God calls busy people. When when uh, Gideon was doing what was he sitting around thinking? Well, I wonder what great calling God is going to have me do? I really wonder. No, he was out there just threshing wheat. He was doing a common work. When the angel came unto him and t- called him to deliver the Israelites out of the Midianites' hands, he was busy. I'll give you another illustration real quickly. I have a cousin that was uh, worked in her younger years as a CPA. And uh it was interesting. I just had this conversation with her some time ago, and she worked, I believe it was approximately six or seven years in a CPA office. She was called to teach school and taught school about seven for seven another seven years. Then she went to uh Faith Builders, was going to go there as a student for one year. Today, she is a secretary there because she understands scholarships because she was a CPA and a school teacher. Who would have thought that 20 years ago that this is what it would have led to? And she said, I have many students going, I wonder if I'm doing what God is calling me to. She said, you know what, I tell every one of them, keep doing what you're doing, and you know what, God's going to lead all you need to do is serve where you are called to serve. So when you and I go to our regular jobs, I think of it totally different today than I did two years ago. In fact, I'll tell you another, another story. True story. Two men started working for a railroad company. A long time ago, and they both started at $2.50. Well, it was about years later. The other man kept climbing up the ladder. And one day, he got off the train. This one man got off the train. He got off the train as president of this railroad company. He gave this other man a great big hug. The other men, young men that were working right alongside of this other man said, How is it? You're still working a regular job. This man is a president of the company. What's the difference? He said, well, I'll have to admit, the other man came to work for the railroad company. I came to work for $2.50. You see, it's through our eagerness to serve our customer, whoever it may be, our boss or whoever, They can see our willingness to serve God through that. As leader, one who is in leadership position, and I hesitate to call that a position, we understand We should understand through this the uniqueness of each one serving in his way. I look at it in the church. We had the song later that that is gifted in that. And one of the things I would just like to bring out real quickly is that I think we need to also look at the fact of when we see youth coming on and we see potential that is there, let's not be afraid to push it a little bit. I I had to be pushed when I was growing up. Lynn, that story quickly on your, on your cousin Louie. When I was 17 years old, I led songs for the first time. I said, never again will I lead songs. And Louie asked me, uh, uh, about a month later, he called me up, said, Aaron, I need you to lead songs. I said, nope, never, nope, that's done. He said, no, Aaron, he said, you're going to lead. And he pushed me, and I'll tell you what, Today, I would actually rather lead songs than be up here preaching. I'm going to have to admit, but God called me to serve in this way and I want to serve God to where He called me, okay? But it took a push and it took somebody who cared, who had the courage to do that. And our youth are each created unique as just as adults to serve in one way or another. And that is when we are at Our peak is when we serve the God who put us here on this earth, whether it is in a spiritual way, whether it is in a physical way, we are called to serve and to serve God in every which way. Well, it's time to close. I thank you for your attention. Let's stand for a word of prayer, and then we'll let you go.